Thanks, Eliza. If you do have a Bible, please uh, keep it open there. Uh, you go back uh, 2,000 years from today, uh, and you arrive at the time where Jesus lived as a man on the earth. Uh, we go back a further 1,000 years or 1,100 years, and we're in this book, 1 Samuel. Uh, the people, God's people of old, the Israelites, they're living in the promised land, but it is a messed up time. Uh, 1 Samuel begins in the time when the judges ruled. We've just spent four weeks looking at the book of Ruth. Uh, 1 Samuel is the very next book in the Bible. It's set during the same sort of time, a time where Israel had no king, a time we read from the end of that book of Judges, the very last verse, where everyone did as they saw fit. There's a great need for godly leadership. That's the context. This afternoon we're sort of just dipping into 1 Samuel uh, for a moment. We had chapter 4 read for us. Uh, we're also going to spend a little bit of time thinking about the second half of chapter 2 and a little bit of chapter 3. So if your Bible's there, that would be a, a great help. Uh, but how about we pray again? Let's pray. Our loving Father, we thank you that you speak. And we thank you that you speak through the scriptures, your living word. And Lord, while uh, this text, 1 Samuel, was written so long ago in such a different context, we pray that you would make it real to us, that you would speak to us with clarity, and that you would use your word to build us, your church, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You notice she named the boy Ichabod, meaning no glory, or where is the glory? She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. It's a shocking situation, this one. You notice as, we, as Eliza read it to us, a pregnant woman who, while dying in labour, she names her new son, no glory. This dying woman has a newly dead uh, father-in-law, that priest Eli, a newly dead husband, also a priest, and a newly dead brother-in-law, a priest. The, the Ark of God, that golden box that the Israelites would carry around with them, which represented the Lord's presence with his people, it has been captured by that foreign nation, the Philistines. The Philistines who have defeated the Israelites in battle, not once, but twice. The first time about 4,000 dead, we know from chapter 4, verse 2. The second time, chapter 4, verse 10, the slaughter was very great. Israel lost 30,000 foot soldiers. What a contrast to Hannah in chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. Hannah, who was struggling, you may recall, with infertility, a closed womb being opened, humble, prayerful Hannah, naming her new son Samuel, which means God hears, to Ichabod, no glory. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. You may remember that from the book of Exodus. Well, here the glory of the Lord leaves. God has left the building. 
What's going on? The God of the Bible is a holy God, not to be mucked around. And you notice this in the narrative, don't you? Look, if your Bible's there, chapter 2, verse 12, we read Eli's sons, that's the dying pregnant woman's husband and brother-in-law. Eli's sons, we read, were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. And so we picture this scene that the people have come to worship the Lord at Shiloh as the Lord had instructed them. And the worshippers, they know that the fat of the sacrifice, it was to be burnt up as an offering to the Lord. They know that certain parts of the animal were to be given to the priests so that they could have food to eat. And Leviticus 17 and Deuteronomy 18 sort of outline these instructions. This is how you are to worship the Lord. But these priests, Eli's sons, they send along a servant who plunges his fork into the pot and takes whatever comes out. And chapter 2, verse 15, we read, uh, Even before the fat is burnt, they take the meat. They don't even want the boiled meat, these guys. It's like MasterChef or, or, or something. that they want, to, they want to roast this stuff for themselves. Now, I know this is a very different context to, to what we live in now. But I hope you see something of what's going on. The priests were stopping people from worshipping the Lord as the Lord had instructed them to do. What is a priest anyway? Oh, well, a priest is a go-between, says, says Colin Buchanan, that we play you know, along for our kids at night in catechismo kids. The priest is the go-between, between God and his people. Hence the sacrifice someone has to pay. A sinful people cannot approach a, God, a holy God. We need a go-between. Yet these priests were stopping people from sacrificing according to the Lord's instruction, stopping people from doing the very thing they were responsible to help with. In chapter 2, verse 17, it says this, The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. We find out in verse 22 of that chapter, if, if that wasn't enough, they turned the tabernacle, God's meeting place, into a brothel. A place where sin was committed rather than confessed. It's shocking, isn't it? I mean, these are the leaders of God's people of old. Eli, their dad, he hears about what the boys have been up to. Well, everyone knows. And Eli has some words with the boys, but it's a case of too little too late. Yeah, just look with me, if your Bible's there, verse 29 of chapter 2. This is the Lord speaking to Eli. Why do you scorn my sacrifice, an offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. What's he saying? Why do you honour your sons more than me? 
It's upside down, isn't it? The, the Lord comes first, and we're to order ourselves and everything else, everyone else, including our children under him. Yet Eli has it around the wrong way. And I, I get the temptation for him. It's just a bit of extra meat. Uh, the, the pagan temples, they have prostitutes. Everyone's doing it. We can't expect holiness from, from the kids nowadays. No, the God of the Bible is a holy God not to be mucked around. Remember years ago, a, a young bloke who became a Christian, uh, he's now one of the leaders in his local church. He'd been quite a rebellious teen. Uh, and when he turned to Jesus, there, there was a dramatic change. Uh, re- reflecting on him and her parenting, the mum of this boy said, well, we must have done something right. Yeah, for her, that was just a throwaway line. I was in my early 20s at the time. And I thought, I can't see what you've done right. He was fed and clothed, but there was very little about that parenting that modelled Jesus as king. They were irregular at church. They made many decisions that were hardly driven by the good news of Jesus. Now, of course, it's by grace alone that we're saved, isn't it? And none of us have had the ideal childhood. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. And parenting is hard. You've observed me struggling with it, I'm sure. Yet the shape of a parent's life has such a a massive impact. You're, You're a parent, some of you. It's confronting, isn't it? What are you modelling to your children? How are you teaching them? Have you got things mixed up? Do you honour them above the Lord? Now, if you're not yet a Christian, of course you're not pointing your kids to Jesus. But if you are a Christian, without speaking a word, before you even say a thing, what does your life say? Our kids notice, don't they, when we're reading our Bibles. They notice if church is a non-negotiable. They observe how we spend our money. They know what we daydream about. When we honour someone or something above the Lord, let's not be ignorant of the message that we send. I mean, what a terrible grief for that, that bloke, that priest, Eli. Honouring his boys above the Lord, he'd let them loose to do whatever. They'd made a gluttonous meal of the sacrificial system that they'd turned God's meeting place into a brothel. And the context here is it's the leaders among God's people who are guilty. And we know the Bible says that leaders will be judged more strictly. The priests... Stopping people from coming to the Lord. Stopping people from doing the very thing that they were meant to help with. Well, God will remove the privilege of being priests from Eli's family. 
In chapter 2, verse 27 to 34, this, this unnamed man of God, he, he comes to Eli and he, and he tells him as much. And that Ichabod stuff from uh, chapter 4, it's the fulfillment. It's God's judgment. Maybe you noticed when verse 18 of chapter 4 was read to us, a messenger comes to Eli and tells him the news from the second battle. His rebellious boys are dead. The ark has been captured. And this is verse 18. When he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell backwards off his chair by the side of the gate. His neck was broken and he died, for he was an old man and he was heavy. He had led Israel 40 years. He was heavy, for he had indulged in the food his sons had stolen from the Lord. Earlier in chapter 2, Hannah said in her prayer, she said, verse 10 of chapter 2, those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The God of the Bible is a holy God, not to be mucked around. It's at the mention of the ark of God that Eli falls off his chair and breaks his neck and dies. It's interesting, isn't it? And not the mention of his dead sons, but the ark of God. Why? Well, the dying pregnant woman put it well. The ark has been captured The glory of the Lord has departed from Israel, God's people of old. God has left the building, not because the ark, that box, has been captured. The ark was captured because the Lord had already removed his presence. Uh, Dale Ralph Davies, he's an Old Testament commentator. He says, could Ichabod, no glory, be justly written over many of our church sanctuaries. Remember um, a, a Presbyterian church that was, that was closed down in another state. A, a visitation committee was sent to this local church to make an assessment. Uh, and speaking of God, the, the flavour of the words from this, this committee that went to check out the local church, uh, he's clearly left this place. The church was in a shocking state. The people didn't know God. The people were not living for God. There was a blatant disregard for his ways. Now, I don't reckon that's us this afternoon. I'm actually really encouraged by what God is doing among us as a community. But it's good to sit with this for a moment, isn't it? To reflect again, are we in any sense in danger of mucking the Lord around? The almighty creator God who made us in his image for a relationship with him. And if you reflect honestly, I'm sure there are things that you need to bring to the Lord seeking forgiveness and me too. There's a challenging example in the way the Israelites treated the Ark of the Covenant, that golden box in chapter 4, treating God like a superstitious trinket. Rabbit foot theology, have you heard that before? They go into battle for the the first time and they're defeated. 4,000, was it? And they, how could this be? You know, why did we lose? Ah, we, we didn't have the Ark with us. 
So in chapter 4, verse 3, they say, Let's, Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant from Shiloh so that they may go so that he may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. The ark is brought in and you hear the Israelites cheering. The Lord is with us. Surely we're going to win this time. Uh, They must be thinking, but they suffer an even worse defeat. And the ark is stolen and the priests are dead. Uh, To think that carrying a golden box with them the Lord will do exactly what they want him to do. And look, it's not that blatant for us, I hope. But how often do we want to order God around? God, you do this. God, you do that. And when he doesn't do what we want him to do, there's the temptation to throw a tantrum. God, why aren't you coming through? We can act as though we're entitled to God's obedience of us and not the other way around, trying to boss God around, using him for our own purposes. God, you should do what I want because. Now, don't hear me wrong. The Lord, the God of the Bible, is loving and kind and gracious and and merciful and we pray all kinds of things don't we and he does here but this is not a god who can be strong-armed or manipulated we must not lose ourselves in our great plans but join god in his and i reckon this is where the light of the the bible passage is this afternoon Eli's sons had mucked the Lord around. Instead of serving at the tabernacle, God's meeting place, they were using the tabernacle to serve themselves. But, chapter 2, verse 18, but, Samuel's, but Samuel, and that's Hannah's son, but Samuel was ministering before the Lord a boy wearing a linen ephod. Uh, the, the ephod thing, bit strange. It was clothing that a priest was meant to wear. We know that from Exodus 28. I think the writer's mentioning it here so that we as readers see Samuel actually behaving as a priest should, unlike Eli's sons. In the second half of chapter 2, that unnamed man of God declares judgment on Eli's family. And then in verse 35, he says this. It's the Lord's voice. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do what is in my heart and mind. So in the the midst of all this mess that the Israelites were in some 3,000 years ago, God was quietly raising up a faithful priest. The call and growth of Samuel is there in chapter 3. But Samuel's sons, if you know the story, they drop the ball too. And while Samuel draws a strong contrast to Eli's sons, he's obviously not the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. And you may be getting used to the Old Testament being fulfilled in the New Testament. One Samuel, it strongly points to Jesus in so many ways. Jesus the king. Jesus the priest. 
Jesus, the prophet that we need. What is a priest anyway? Well, a priest is a go-between between us and God. A sinful people cannot approach a holy God, yet Jesus is a priest like no other. There were plenty of dodgy priests around, yet even the best, sacrifice after sacrifice, year after year, and it was just symbolic of sin paid for. Jesus is the fulfilment of the whole sacrificial system. He's the priest. He's also the sacrifice itself. He died once for all those who trust in him. You may know the book of Hebrews takes up this priestly theme, uh, the priesthood of Jesus. And we read at the start of the service, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. I might get that up on the screen again. We read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Uh, if you're someone who comes from a Roman Catholic background and you, or a high Anglican background and, and, and you wonder, well, why don't we have these priestly figures in our church? That's why. There's only one go-between us and God, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son himself. The God of the Bible is a holy God, not to be mucked around. And in Jesus, he deals with our sin and we boldly approach our Father in heaven. Uh, someone said um, repentance, you know, the turnaround. R repentance means seeing and being humbled by our sin. It means facing up to the selfishness in our souls. It means turning to God for pardon, peace and power. Whatever gaps you see in your character, whatever follies and flaws you identify in yourself, the first step is to repent and turn to God. Now, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and this is just a wonderful opportunity to do that, uh, to reflect on our own flaws, the way we've mucked God around and we look to Jesus' perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. So why don't we pray now? Uh, great God, we, we want to recognise that you are a holy God, that you are separate to us, that you are other, that you are transcendent, that you are so far beyond us, that you are holy. And Lord, we confess that we are a people who muck you around. Uh, a people who don't take you seriously at all times. Lord, for this we're sorry. And we pray that by your spirit you would help us identify in ourselves the ways 
that we have failed to honour you. Lord, as we look at the carnage of a community with leaders stopping people from worshipping you, Lord, we want to pray that you would help us not get in the way of others coming to you too. And so, Lord, we pray for the leadership of our church that you would help us be godly, that you would help us uh, identify sin and uh, work on that with your help. But, Lord, ultimately, we want to thank and praise you that the Lord Jesus is the great high priest, the one perfect one, and that he is our perfect sacrifice too. Lord, be with us now as we reflect on our sin and recognise that it's dealt with through our King. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, So the Lord's Supper, it's